Thursday and 75, Mark Williams, yesterday was just the beginning of my life, goes to number one. He grew up in Tokopuru, 14k south of uh, Dargaville. Incidentally, I uh, had a few years there when I was uh, born. At the end of his sixth form year, he and his friends left Dargaville High to form a band called Face. They were joined by Willie Horner, who is known locally for his guitar skills. He would later be in Herbs. And he became a bona fide star in New Zealand and Australia. In the 80s, he had another big hit, a Show No Mercy in Australia, and went on to uh, be part of Dragon. But uh, a big part of the music scene wasn't he, Salwin, in the 70s, 80s, Mark Williams. What a track. Yeah, takes me back, Wallace. You know, know. there was this little little hall <laughs> somewhere around where the Methodist Church is on yes. the corner of Great South Road yeah. and uh, Weymouth Road. Somewhere around there, it's not there now, but there used to be dances every week, uh, every Friday night. And it, those dances started with Mark Williams' song every oh. time for years, for years, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, that's how popular yeah. he was out. Absolutely. Out. Mark Williams, yesterday was just the beginning of my life, goes to number one. In 75 on this day. Now, um, by the way, you can go back and listen to the panel. I say this because people say, oh, I missed a week and I listen back. You can listen to the panel on iHeart, on Apple and on Spotify. If you've missed it, if you're busy, it's the panel is always there for you. Now, the following state highways remain closed due to adverse weather. Closed. State Highway 2, Matawai to Tikaraka. State Highway 50, Tikotino. Tikokino, rather, and State Highway 2, Nuhaka, near Kokohu Road. That's stop and go. Other big news. The Prime Minister will meet late tonight with China's President Xi Jinping. China represents nearly a quarter of all our exports, was our second largest source of tourists pre-COVID, and is a significant source of international students. So it is a critical part of our economic Recovery, Hitkin said on the eve of his visit. It coincides with the visit of the Five Eyes Security Alliance, meeting in Wellington today with China and its growing influence in the Pacific expected to be on the agenda. So with us is Stephen Jacoby. He's the executive director of the New Zealand International Business Forum. He was an executive director of the New Zealand China Council. Uh, kia ora, Stephen. Kia ora, Wallace. I was also executive director of the NZUS Council once. Oh, yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course you were, Stephen. Hey, this is a very big meeting, no doubt, Stephen Jacoby. It's a big meeting with a big partner from New Zealand at a time when we want to demonstrate that we are open for business, they're open for business, uh, we want to reconnect, and the Prime Minister has in tow a whole bevy of exporters who are looking to engage with that market. Of course, there are some complicated things to discuss. There's always going to be, but I mm. am expecting a very productive outcome from the big meeting tonight. The Australian report of the Foreign Minister Nanaya Mahuta was roasted by her Chinese counterpart on her trip back in March, you know, believed to relate to the New Zealand pushback to Chinese attempts to found a military presence here in the Pacific. In terms of the tone... What will the feeling in the room be like, Stephen? Well, I'm going to let you into a diplomatic secret here today, uh, Wallace, because uh, it's a frequent tactic in advance of a high-level, highest-level political visit like that of the Prime Minister to have a, a visit that precedes it with the Foreign Minister where a number of difficult discussions uh, would be held. This is not uncommon around the world. Um, it's doubtless the same in China. In fact, I know it is. I've no idea what the nature of that 
conversation was like. Um, but I suspect the idea was, well, um, we want to avoid, during the Prime Minister's visit, having a lot of dis- difficult discussions. So I'm thinking that that probably has cleared the way and it will be a very positive indeed. I mean, why wouldn't it be, after all, um, the relationship uh, is, um, you know, certainly uh, uh, facing some headwinds in some areas, but on the whole is extremely good from New Zealand's perspective and I expect also uh, from China's. Victoria McLennan. Um, Stephen, what do you think, if anything, if you could speculate you had a crystal ball we might hear announced after the meeting? You know, that's a very good question because there's been very little speculation about that. I I think the meeting is probably the main deliverable. Uh, I think you're going to hear that, um, uh, um, you know, we're committed to expanding the trade relationship. I don't think even further... Uh, I was thinking about that song we just heard yesterday was just the beginning, you know. <laughs> uh, and um, But I don't think there'll be a, a commitment to reach any particular level of trade like there used to be once upon a time. Um, I'm thinking we might hear some soothing noises about getting um, uh, students back and getting uh, tourism up and flights uh, reconnected. Uh, I'm thinking there could be some mention about uh, uh, New Zealand and China views on CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership that China wants to join. I don't think it'll be a, a, you know, this is not something that New Zealand can just deliver, um, but it nevertheless is something of of key interest to China. Uh, And I think there'll be some, obviously, discussion of the geopolitical uh, areas and what have you. Watch for something on climate change, I think, though. This is the big area where New Zealand and China want to advance the relationship and do things differently. And more meaningfully. Watch for something on climate change. Okay, all right. Uh, Sowen Manning. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, the, the Prime Minister's bilateral meeting here will be tested on relationship building, anchoring that in where New Zealand has been in the past, you know, two decades really, and building on that with a new face. So I think that's very important. Also on the diversification, you've seen that you know, heralded and flagged up by the um, beehive already, that uh, emerging sectors, for example, and they say gaming and health and wellness and these types of things, but it's about diversification. I think they'll be testing the Chinese appetite for that. Also trade maintenance. Now, with, with that latter part, I do believe that it is maintained that um, that the trajectory of where two-way trade is heading and what that two-way trade looks like at this time, I think those are important messages that will test how effective this bilateral meeting between the Prime Minister and China Mm. will be. Um, those are things I think that are very important for those, and re- I think there is a pragmatic approach to this. You know, there's been some writing that has gone on about New Zealand must be broke because its trade uh, orientation is to the fore once again. I think the reality is New Zealand is a trading nation, and that is how we measure really how effective New Zealand is with its independent voice on diplomatic issues right. as well. Well, actually, on that, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, the big guns are all involved. The heavyweights are there, aren't they? You got. Fonterra, Zespri, Silver Farms amongst the 29 leaders. Yeah, yeah I must say I agree completely with, with, with what Selwyn just said. I, I'm an extremely good um, overview, I think. I mean, and you're right, it is the big the big exporter end of town. I think there are some other people there in more of those emerging sectors as well. But, I mean, it's not surprising, is it, because that's where the big numbers come from our trade. You know, it's in those um, agri-food products in particular where China wants to buy what we have to sell. And let's be quite clear about this because 
you know, we do need to diversify to other markets. We are diversifying to other markets. But there are no other markets like China that are going to take that sort of level of product, pay those sorts of prices, and give us the market access. You know, the FTA we have with China has given us extraordinary market access. Uh, and as good as we get anywhere around the world, better than most of our other trading partners. Certainly better than the EU is just about to give us in their uh, FTA with us. That's why China is so important. But yeah, there's a lot of room in that economy for those other sectors as well. Good on you, Stephen. Thanks for being with us. That's Stephen Jacoby, Exec Director of the uh, New Zealand International Business Forum. It is uh, 16 to 5. Uh, just such an extraordinary feedback regarding caning. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, here's another one. Moana Maniaputu on Twitter says, I was strapped for talking too much. So f- painful. But I recall two boys in my class who'd often be given six of the best in front of us how their eyes welled up. But they never cried. So cruel. My aroha was always with them. Uh, someone is asking me to say, I would like to hear from a teacher. Are there any teachers out there who caned who have the courage to contact the panel and explain why? Do get in contact with me, the panel at rnz.co.nz, and you can come on anonymously. But with us now is Mike from Tawa. Welcome, Mike. Oh, hi there, Royce. How are you doing? I'm really well. How about you? What's your story? Oh, I went to school in Nottinghamshire in the in the 70s, between 70 and 75. It was a secondary modern school. And every day, kids would get caned for all sorts of things. There were three teachers that could do the caning, including the headmaster, who we called Boss, or even the teachers called him Boss. And um, he, he would on a Friday, we had singing practice, and he'd separate the 500 boys at the school, and he'd walk up and down the middle and put his eagle eye up and down the rows and see and look, and you're not singing, boy, outside my office, or... It, Somebody might be smiling, and he'd be outside the office. So every day there was about half a every Friday there was about half a dozen kids outside of his office ready to get caned. And um, I can remember once another time I was in an English class, and and the the teacher pulled me up to the front. He said, "Right, hold your hand out," and he, he slippered me. Slipper had been nicely warming on the radiator, and and he slippered me. I thought, "What's that for?" He said, "Oh, you'll find out one day." I never did. Fifty years later, I still don't know why the hell he did that. <laughs> oh, Mike. Well, look, uh, <laughs> I appreciate your story. Um, there's been quite uh, interesting to hear the tales, huh? You what, sorry. Interesting to hear all these stories, isn't it? Oh God, yeah. There's a common theme about this. I mean, my mum used to get caned if she got less than seven out of ten for the spelling. Yeah. You know, in her day, you know, it was really criminal, really. Mike, so nice. Really, yeah. Oh, well, we appreciate your time. Yeah, that's Mike and Tawa there. Uh, and uh, look, um, yeah, mm, I'm going to come back to this. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it's really, it's actually quite weird to think mm. about it now. You know, from primary school up, it's rather odd, but uh, part of our social history. Huh? It's 13 away uh, from five uh, to this. Since 2007, there have been 21 deaths related to river crossings in Aotearoa. Most recently, a coroner ruled the deaths of two University of Otago students 
uh, a couple of years ago, no, 2020 rather, to have resulted from a failed river crossing. And it's led to the Mountain Safety Council to reiterate river safety advice to prevent similar tragedies in the future. With us is Sarah English. Now, Sarah is Managing Director for Outdoor Education New Zealand and Assessor for the New Zealand Outdoor Instructors Association. Sarah, kia ora. Hi. <laughs> and welcome to you too. I welcome. thought we'd get you on because it, it, just as that reminder, many of us go tramping, many of us go hiking, and there may be a time where you may well be stuck because of the unpredictability of uh, the weather. When there are accidents or fatalities that result from river crossings, what are the usual causes? There's quite a consistent theme that comes through in regards to the the common themes. And um, one of the key ones that we we see and comes through the strongest is people attempting to cross the river when they just really shouldn't, when all the signs of the river are showing us that it's in flood and it's just dangerous and a hazard to us. Um, There's actually, as part of the Mountain Safety Council research, they released a publication in 2018 called A Walk in the Park, and they cover all of this and that there as well. But... We also come into these heuristic traps that they talk about, which is when we can get really goal-focused. We yeah. see the heart, we see the car, we just want to get there. Uh, that's really... I, I can actually relate to that. Um, yeah. uh, Victoria, you know, doing a long uh, day hike, but it was the, one of the Nelson Lakes. Get to the top, Victoria, and you've got that <laughs> braided river. It was raining a bit, and it was high, extremely freezing, but... You just wanted to get home, so you do take a little bit of a risk. Talking about my my teenage life here, aren't you, yeah. Wallace? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, people do take risks, and they aren't well educated. I was lucky again to have gone to Nelson College for Girls, and we did go tramping, and we learnt yes. about swollen rivers, and we did climb those, those hills and mountains and um, even in the snow. And yet so many people aren't educated, and they often, um, Sarah, you're, probably got a strong view on this there there are often people who go out tramping who just aren't experienced enough they've done good day walks but they haven't really tramped and and I feel that there's something that we need to kind of build into our DNA and psyche about learning the signs of swollen rivers and learning the signs of your own fatigue and hypothermia yeah there's definitely an awareness that could be um you know, enhance through education, which would be which would be ideal, and make everybody's life so much easier. You know, in regards to land search and rescue, and families, and loved ones, and and colleagues that are dealing with the results of fatalities in the outdoors. Salwin. Yeah, I'm kind of sitting back and listening to this, and I'm kind of thinking, I wonder if um, there, there is some sort of program, some sort, you know, certificates that people can can get in this space. If you can talk to the, that kind of idea and maybe you know if I'm kind of thinking of so many Kiwis have private pilots licenses for example and a part of that curriculum is is getting to a um, uh, you know a grade basic understanding of meteorology reading the signs of the weather reading the environment but also another subject as a part of those courses is reading reading people reading one's own self so the hypothermia thing that you were talking about comes to fore there and I'm wondering whether or not you know it may not be informed but mm. something that is a program that encourages and res- has respect for these issues that are coming through where we understand what has gone wrong for people 
in the past where the experience of the outdoors has caught up with them. That may be quite an interesting thing. Yeah, I can even see documentaries you know, wrapped around that type of thing. That would be fantastic. Yeah. But what do you think about that kind of idea? Well, I think it's an interesting concept, and I, I'm, I'm very pro-education and further education in regards to keeping ourselves safe in the outdoors because I think people go into these environments not fully understanding um, the complexities that we can encounter and in the most part it can be really straightforward we stay on track we follow the orange triangles and we get to the heart and it's all good and we have you know no real issue and it's when we have these sudden changes in the weather or environment or um, within our performance we get injured and we don't quite know how to adapt to that I think training is really good. I think if you are new to tramping or even an experienced tramper but looking to sort of, you know, expend your skills in a way so you can go into different environments and perform in different ways, then education is the best way to do it. And there are a few courses out there that you can go do. But I would also be hesitant to say you have to go training because it can be very prohibitive to get people to that point, yeah. you know, to affordability-wise, oh. to be able to go do those courses. So I think there needs to be a good medium there where we can, and I think Mountain Safety Council are nailing this really well. They've stepped back from the hard skills training and they've gone, we've got uh, literature that we can provide, we've got guidance, we've got money to invest in research so we can show people where the issues are popping up. And they do that extremely well. And then there's space there for clubs and groups and schools and commercial providers to step in and provide those training courses where people might need them to upskill. Um, and they can, they can do that at their own pace and they can do it with uh, people of a similar skill level so then they can connect with others to go out and um, have something, you know, have a real adventure, uh, yeah. but do it in a really safe way. Very good, Sarah. Thank you for being with us on the program there. That's uh, Sarah English the Managing Director uh, for Outdoor Education in New Zealand. Just by the way, there's, there's uh, one, two, four points here that you might want to know. Uh, signs the river as, as, as unsafe include water moving faster than normal walking pace. That's one. Two, discoloured, cloudy or surging water. Three, visible debris in the river such as tree branches. Four, the sound of rolling boulders on the riverbed. So do stay try and stay safe when you attempt to cross a river here. It's seven away from five. The panel RNZ National. As always, wonderful to have your company. We are on Apple, on iHeart, on Spotify. We have Victoria McLennan and Salwan Manning with us. Canadian crooner Michael Bublé who has popularised the traditional American songbook he has sold over 75 million records worldwide, has five Grammy Awards, and was at the Auckland Fish Market the other day eating his fish sticks. Here he is. So I am in the Auckland Fish Market, and there's these two singers. They're killed. They're so beautiful, and they're singing Up Where We Belong. Listen to this. How good they are. The lift us up where we belong. From the world. And so Buble rocks up to the local music duo to tell us what happened. Uh, is the person that Michael Buble met, Vanessa Abernathy, is one half of the duo twofold. Welcome, Vanessa. Hello. <laughs> what an event. Okay, tell us. You're at the fish market. What happens? Yes. Well, just doing our thing. We're there kind of once a month, just creating an atmosphere for the people that come and have lunch and... Um, I'd just finished singing an Adele song, and then there was this extremely 
exuberant applause from someone. I thought, oh, that's unusual. <laughs> um, and I thought, gosh, he looks familiar. He wandered down and sat in front of us and sort of looked up at me and said, you've got a great voice. And I thought, I'm sure that's Michael Bublé. And so I said to him, are you Michael Bublé? And he's like, shh. And, um, and he just says, seriously, he says, you're a better singer than I am. So um, that's kind of how it started. Amazing. And then he goes on to ask you how you'd like to play in front of 12,000 people at my concert? Yes, because originally he was just sort of doing a TikTok and then he sort of came up and said, oh, look, would you guys mind, you know, doing being in my TikTok with me? And uh, and then Johnny, who's the other half of our um, twofold duo, he said, oh, I'm actually coming to your concert tonight. And then and Michael Bublé went, you're coming to the concert? Ooh. And then he says to me, are you coming to the concert? I said, oh, no, I'm a working musician, mate. I don't have tickets. I can't afford them. And um, he just sort of laughed and he says, I can hook you up with some tickets. He says, how about we do the TikTok at the concert? He said, would you guys consider coming and singing with me this evening? <laughs> and we're like, um, is this a prank? Is this a joke? And he's like, no, no, I'm serious, man. He said, I just think that song you were just singing, he said, it would be amazing. Would you come and that with me tonight. Oh my gosh, so a five-time Grammy winner goes to the Auckland fish market uh, stuffing himself full of fish sticks, loving uh, your group. What a story, Salwin. That's just it's so just cool. Thing. So what, what can you say? Yeah. You know, um, what, 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 how, how did this, how did you start on stage with them? You know, what was that like and what, yeah. what was the approach music, well, this, from mm. a musician point of view? Hmm. Well, the thing that was amazing was because we were very unclear as to what was going on because, you know, you have you hear these encounters with people and then, you know, they don't follow up. So he said, oh, my assistant will call you. And we're like, yeah, cool, great. And I thought, well, here's that happens. <laughs> and then half an hour later, she phoned me. And then um, then she texts me later saying, what key do you sing it in? And so we're like, is the whole band playing it? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm just the singer. I don't know what key we sing it in. I, that's a Johnny question. So I text John's number to Chrissy, who is the um, person helping, uh, and then she must have texted it to Michael Bublé because on the way in to Spark Arena, Johnny's phone rang, and he's like, oh, that's an odd number. And he thought, oh, it's a Canadian number. It's probably one of the event people. And he goes, hi, Johnny speaking. He goes, Johnny, it's Michael. And so <laughs> Michael Bublé phoned him directly just to say, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to roll. You guys are going to be amazing. And he just really created a really cool sense of just calm, I think, because he sort of set us up for a win, which was amazing. And on the night, how was it playing in front of 12,000 people with Michael Bublé as one half of the duo twofold? <laughs> you say it like that and I'm sitting here going, is this really happening? Because it's been such a mental day of radiant interviews and then we're on breakfast this morning and then I've had a little bit of downtime and I was like, oh, that's right, I've got another call and, I, and it just keeps coming back up and I'm like, this is surreal. This is just the most amazing experience. In New Zealand, it's just so warm and embracing and they just cheered us on and it just felt really relaxed oh. and really natural. Well, good on you, Vanessa, the person who's got a better voice than Michael Bublé. That's what he said himself. Wonderful stuff. Hey, Victoria, Sal and Kia ora to you both. Been a wonderful show. Appreciate it. I'm Wallace Chapman. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. I'm back tomorrow, 3.45. I will see you then.